So imagine a tabloid tabloid photo of Newsom yeah. on the on the back page, and then in big bold font, I got three point five million problems, but a rent cap ain't one. That's good. Thank you. Welcome to a semi-emergency version of Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Matt Levin, dad and housing reporter with Cal Matters. And I am Liam Dillon with the Los Angeles Times. Who just produced that slow-moving emergency sound yes, effect. Yes, it was a uh, slow, sad wah. Yeah. yeah. What's that company that does like sound effects for movies, Folby? I have no idea you're talking about. You know, the, the advertisements that they would used to put on before movies. No, I don't. In like the 90s. No, all, I, all I'm thinking of right now is Daryl Ice's voice on the Viper uh, car alarm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is a semi-emergency podcast. This is like a, when you're in the uh, acute care. That's right. Um, Urgent care. Yeah. Yes, that's Cause right. Because it's cheaper than going to the emergency room. Session is over. California lawmakers have wrapped up their work for 2019. And we are here to go over all of the housing bills that lived and died, some that are on their way to the governor, and what it means for you. Exactly. We'll be devoting special attention to the rent cap bill that uh, made a bunch of headlines last week. Both you and I were in attendance for its final passage. Uh, very likely, I'll but assured that Governor Newsom will sign it. But we'll also be talking about a handful of other bills that you should probably be aware of. Yeah, so uh, there was a bunch of housing uh, stuff that was done, and I'm sure at the at the the end we'll talk about uh, sort of what we expected at the beginning of the year uh, and how that kind of ended up metting out at the end. Um, but there was a, a decent amount of activity last week. A quick reminder: Liam and I will be on stage on Wednesday live. There will be pyrotechnics. <laughs> um, who's opening for us? Do we uh, have an opener? Um, I was going to say Sage the Gemini. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Sage will be opening for us. <laughs> the live podcast spectacular happening Wednesday at uh, the Public Policy Institute of California in San Francisco is sold out. Thank you again for everyone who registered to come out. You will be able to hear that podcast, which includes Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, a couple other housing experts on ways we can solve California's housing woes. You'll be able to hear it uh, the following week when I finally get some time to edit it. But also, we'll be live streamed. That's right. Yes. So if you can't wait, uh, check check out, check on Twitter, and maybe in the show notes, we'll throw the link in there. Yeah, I think uh, it'll be on Facebook Live and YouTube is what I'm hearing, but I'm yeah. not in charge of that, so I'm just going to choose not to worry about it. <laughs> Um, let's move to the most popular segment in all of California housing podcastery. It is the avocado of the fortnight. So typically, this is a look at the most absurd housing story in California of the past two weeks. But considering the circumstances of this avocado, we've decided to broaden broaden this out beyond housing. What am I referring to, Liam? So uh, there was an incident uh, last Friday evening, yes. uh, the last um, day of the legislative year, things were kind of moving along pretty swimmingly. Perfect timing for everyone involved. Yes. Uh, and then about 5 o'clock on Friday, and uh, right as kind of in the thick of legislating, um, there was a protest, or a more formal, if you will, uh, act by a protester from the uh, uh, anti-vaccine community, which uh, allegedly, uh, well, we saw something that happened, um, threw a menstrual cup yep. onto the floor of the state Senate. Uh, some legislators were hit with uh, uh, what the CHP is called, a liquid that appeared like blood. Yep. And they had to shut it down for hours. Yep. Hours. 
And for the first time since, uh, and I learned this happened, I, I uh, clearly not a capital veteran, um, but for the first time since as, 2001. As was pointed out to you on yeah, Twitter. Many times. Uh, <laughs> first time since 2001, the state Senate had to meet in a uh, different location to, to end their, their business. Uh, the last time this happened, uh, someone drove a truck into the Capitol. Yep. Uh, so. So let yeah. me ask you this. Yeah. Considering the number of times that people have thrown menstrual products at you, do you think people are overreacting to what happened on the Senate floor? No. Um, just, to, just to give people some background on what it's been like in the last week of session, the anti-vaccine protesters have been out in full force that entire week. Well, it was, so, it was two, two weeks. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. even longer. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Mm-hmm. So on our way to covering, let's say, the rent cap bill, um, entering into the assembly floor or the Senate floor, you would pass them and they are outside the governor's office, right by this statue of a bear that right. is, you know, somewhat famous in the in the Capitol. And they're right. there chanting pretty consistently. Yeah. And that earlier in the week, uh, they chained themselves to uh, the uh, one of the entrances of the Capitol, uh, he formed a human chain to block uh, the parking lot in um, and, you know, a lot of uh, disruption, if you will, um, from uh, their side uh, as the capital is debated a couple what ended up being a couple a couple of uh, vaccine bills. It is obviously, you know, a little bit comical that someone threw a menstrual cup onto the Senate floor. I don't think lawmakers took it that way. And I think that's actually there, there are possible political implications of this that go beyond this weird thing that an anti-vaxxer did. Well, I think, um, I mean, I would not be shocked to see different kind of security measures um, at the Capitol going forward. Um, you know, you have pretty much unfettered access to the Senate gal- or the gallery of the Senate and the Assembly. Um, I don't know uh, whether, how much that might be restricted because of what uh, of what happened going forward. And that's a shame. I mean, you know, there's it's really nice place to watch kind of democracy go. Um, and any restrictions on that would be um, disappointing. Well, uh, not only that, but I think there's a feeling among um, some legislative staffers and lawmakers that maybe some of this could have been avoided if there wasn't some reluctance on the part of the Newsom administration. To oh, have. sure. I mean, you know, the, the the governor, I mean, said he was going to sign the bill and then he said he wasn't going to sign the bill yep. um, and required a separate a separate bill to pass. And that certainly uh, inflamed the situation uh, much worse than 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 what it was. Yes. And, and, and no one seemed to be happy. Uh, the legislators weren't happy to having to do this multiple times. Uh, certainly the protesters won't ha- weren't happy because they didn't ultimately didn't end up getting what they wanted. I don't know what the governor thinks about it, um, but uh, it was a pretty um, uh, uh, messed up situation all around. Yeah. People in the Capitol are not happy with the Newsom administration over what went down. Agree. Um, Okay, Uh, let's move to housing legislation and let's talk about the highest profile bill that was left in the legislature, which was this rent cap bill. So uh, quick recap of the details. Um, This legislation, which is soon to be signed into law, will for the next decade limit rent increases uh, statewide at 5% plus inflation. So somewhere around 7-8% uh, every year. Uh, this is only predominantly be on apartment buildings. Um, and uh, additionally, uh, the measure 
um, prevents people from being evicted without a reason uh, after one year of living in the building that they're in. Yep, that's right. And I just want to go into some of the specific exemptions and properties that are not touched right. by this bill, because I've, in the wake of this, I've gotten a lot of emails about, you know, it, does this apply to my unit exactly. or does this apply to my tenancy? So right. uh, if your uh, unit was built in the last 15 years, you are exempt. So you do not get these tenant protections if you're a, if you're a tenant in one of those units. That this is a rolling figure, though. Yes. So um, over the next decade, Important more, and more, clarification. more and more apartments will fall under it. Yeah. Yep. If you're in a mobile home park. This actually came up on the assembly floor. But if yeah. you're in a mobile home park, this would not touch you. And there's been lots of reports of big rent increases at mobile home parks in the Bay Area and the Central Valley over the past couple of years. If you are in a single family home, you want to take this one? Yeah, uh, it doesn't affect you uh, generally unless your single family home rental is owned by a corporation or institutional investor. Uh, you've written more about this um, uh, where uh, there's been an increase or at least a substantive number particularly in certain markets, Sacramento being one of them around the state, where uh, Blackstone, uh, the private equity firm, and yeah. a couple other firms um, have a large, decently large number of single-family rentals. Those would be covered, but uh, th you know the lion's share of single-family home rentals would, would not. That's right. And the 15-year rolling exemption still applies to those yes. as well. Mm -hmm. uh, condos will be treated like single-family homes in this. So the, the same exact um, rules that Liam just laid out would apply to condos. And then Duplexes uh, will be covered by this law unless the owner of the duplex actually lives in one of the two units. Yep. Any other situations that we've yeah, left we should out? also mention uh, existing rent control units oh, yes. in uh, I guess about I think it's roughly 15 cities around the state have some sort of rent control rules. Uh, these are not touched, so your the rules do not change. Um, if you're in a, in a rent control unit because your restrictions are are tighter than what's being offered by this cap. Uh, additionally, that also leaves room if there are cities that would want to implement sort of stricter forms of rent control, uh, uh, they are still allowed under, of course, the auspices of the Costa-Hawkins law, which prohibits, uh, among other things, um, rent control in buildings after 1995. And we just actually saw an example of this with uh, a new rent cap that has been imposed permanently by L.A. County. Yep, ex exactly. Let's talk about the political run-up to what happened last week. Where do you want to start? You want to start with uh, Prop 10? Whoa, okay, let's do it. Let's yeah. go back. All right. Yeah, Wayback Machine. Yes. <laughs> go ahead, kick us <laughs> off. That was, that was the Wayback sound. Sound a little bit similar to the alarm. Yes. But hey, <laughs> low budget here. <laughs> so. Yes, it's very Wayne's World of you, yeah. actually. So take us back to November 2018. Yeah, so less than a year ago, um, uh, the uh, measure that would have repealed the Costa-Hawkins law that I just referenced and allowed for expansion of local rent control all, all around the state, that lost in a, a big campaign that was Proposition 10 um, by nearly 20 percentage points uh, after a uh, you know well-financed uh, campaign ended up t in total being over $100 million with you know roughly 80 of that coming from the landlord lobby uh, and their allies. And so that kind of set the stage for what we thought was going to be, you know, they have a lot of leverage to kind of get what they want um, yep. out of, of any future tenant packaging or packages. Shortly thereafter, the overwhelming defeat of Prop 10, Newsom says, you know what, I want to broker some type of deal between landlords and tenants. He reiterates that at, the, uh, at his first state of the state 
calling on lawmakers to send him tenant protection legislation, although he is not very specific on what he wants. Or at all specific. Uh, he's just like, hey, pass me some tenant legislation and I'll sign it. Well, I'm but, just you yeah. know being much more generous to the governor than yes. you are. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so this happens. And then there are a suite of bills that are introduced by uh, Assembly Democrats to address this. Um, and they all, you know, the, the, there's the rent cap being among them. Um, and then we enter a period where it looks like uh, nothing's going to happen. I believe you called it the housing bill bloodbath. Yes. Well, because also at the same time, uh, Senate Bill 50, the, yes. the measure that would have increased density at, up and down the state, uh, also uh, met, a, met its demise. Um, this is uh, around May. So in May... Um, basically, all these bills fail um, except for the rent cap bill, which kind of hobbles through because um, Assemblyman David Chu, the author uh, of the legislation, decides to make a deal with the California Association of Realtors. That's right. Yeah. So keep that in mind. That's like uh, when they show a gun early in a play. Chekhov. This is Chekhov. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Three sisters. I know Chekhov. Don't talk to me like I don't know Chekhov. I was just, uh, for the more erudite of our listeners, what? I was clarifying. <laughs> anyway, keep in mind that realtor deal yes. because it comes it becomes important later. Right. Fast forward to August. Yes. Um, to David Chu's surprise, as he told both you and me. Yes. Uh, on our podcast from two weeks ago, Governor Newsom says publicly, "Hey, I like this rent cap bill, but I want this stronger. Yes. I want eviction protections put in there, and I want a tighter cap." Yeah, although he just he says did, he yeah. said stronger at that point, but yes. that's really the only that's the only way you the can really only way you can make it. it stronger, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so this happens, and then all of a sudden, um, this kind of sparked a flurry of activity where the governor was negotiating uh, with um, tenant groups. Uh, also, the landlords decide that they're going to consider playing ball now too. So the California Apartment Association, largest landlord group, the one that's been all the money to defeat Prop Ten, says, you know, um, I'm actually a little worried about this rent cap passing. Uh, let's um, try to do something about this now. And so they enter into negotiations. At the same time, a, a couple of business groups are involved as well. Um, the uh, uh, builders say, hey, um, we would like this ex an exemption on new construction. Make it 15 years and we'll be okay with this. And so that was entered in as part of a deal. Um, and then the Business Roundtable, which represents um, sort of large business owners around the state, uh, also gets involved and say, hey, maybe we'll throw some of our shoulders or heft into this as well. This deal is being brokered. The developers are saying they won't oppose the bill. The Apartment Association, the landlord saying they aren't, a, they won't oppose the bill. And the realtors say, we had a deal. Yeah. We had a deal. What happened? And they just like, no deal. No. No. So they're kind of angry. Kind of angry. So this uh, comes to a head yes. uh, the Friday before Labor Day, um, where the governor late at night uh, announces that he, ha in fact, has reached a deal. And the deal is the version of the bill that we just discussed. That's right. So at that point, it was kind of unclear what was going to happen. I think the political kind of winds were, you know, uncertain um, as to given what what turned out to be and what was expected to be the realtor's intense uh, opposition to this, even with the agreement of the governor, legislative leadership, uh, Senate and President Pro Tem Tony Atkins, Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon, all come on board with this. Uh, we, we discussed the kind of the outside interest groups that were involved as well. Still unclear whether this is going to garner support, uh, particularly in the state assembly, because the weaker version of the rent cap, the one that we mentioned earlier, barely squeaked by. squeaked by by three votes. And so, uh, you know, if you now make it stronger, that seems to leave your margin of error pretty thin. 
Okay, so that takes us to last week. Yes. Um, so the bill has its first vote in its newest form, mm-hmm. its first full floor vote yeah. in the Senate. Everyone's waiting to see, okay, you know, are the realtors actually going to be powerful enough to try to sink this thing? Yeah. The presumption is that the Senate is going to be the easier test than the Assembly. Um, what happened in the Senate? So it, I think it became pretty clear that they were going to get a, a, a decently substantial yep. margin. And I think probably best encapsulated by the testimony of uh, Senator Steve Glazer from Arinda, Bay Area lawmaker, yep. who spent maybe four to five minutes, four minutes roughly, I'd say. Crapping on the bill. Tr- tr- <laughs> trashing the bill. And then, uh, and, but however, and sending his last 10 seconds saying, well, but I guess we should do something, so I'm going to vote for it. Yes. So the the testimony from Glazer was so negative yes. that you tweeted, looks like Glazer's against the bill. Yeah. Ben Christopher, another Cal Matters reporter who was in the room, texted me, Glazer's against the bill. Yeah. I'm watching it. I tweet, yeah. Glazer's against the bill. And then at the very end, he goes, yep, I'm for it. Yeah. So we got, oh, wait. Which was a very good sign that moderate Democrats, not only in the Assembly, but alt- or not only in the Senate, but ultimately in the Assembly, would um, would go along with this, yes. that, that Glazer vote. Actually, I just want to back up a little bit here. Uh, before this bill was actually taken up, the Republicans in the Senate, what remains of them, called a caucus, which delayed the vote on this. Yeah. But there were lots of whispers heading into this that supporters of the bill felt that they could get a couple Republican votes. And the thinking was, because of the support of the California Business Roundtable right. and some major developers, especially in the Orange County area, that they might be able to get some moderate Republicans to go along with this, with the argument being, this is a compromise bill and this will avoid future rent control battles. Right. How many Republicans ended up voting for this? Zero. Yeah. So that did not prove uh, to be the case. I, I, but uh, it is interesting, too, to this point, uh, State Senator John Morlock, who's yes. uh, been on the podcast before from, from Orange County, uh, Republican, facing a likely tough reelection battle, um, decides, ha- also gave a bit of a strange speech. Uh, yeah, it was uh, weird. And he looked visibly nervous. Yeah. Yeah. And then ended up not voting, abstaining from voting. That's right. Mm-hmm. And the, the calculus here, not only for the Republicans, but moderate Democrats is, um, OK, the governor wants this. Legislative leaders want this. Some business community interest groups want this. Yeah. But the realtors don't. Yep. So who am I going to piss off if right. I vote for or against it? Yep. Yep. Okay, so the bill passes the Senate. This was a Tuesday when it get out of, get out, got out of the Senate, uh, and then I mean they just went for it on Wednesday in the Assembly. I'm in the building. You're in the building, uh, going past the anti-vaxxers to get into the Assembly chambers. The bill, you keep hearing it's going to get brought up. It's going to get brought up. It doesn't get brought up until mid-afternoon. Right. And then what happens? So um, a pretty robust debate, um, but you know, and I think you and I both had our 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 uh, legislative calculators out, yep. taking a look at the folks who voted no or, or abstained on the bill in uh, Democrats um, in its prior incarnation. In its prior incarnation, and you start hearing from a few of them testifying that actually uh, we're going to support this, and you know that was you know that was it. 
I mean, that was the this was the confirmation that this was in fact going to move forward. It got a little heated there in in terms of debate on this, with a couple Republican legislators voicing their opposition to this pretty forcefully, yeah. and then a Democratic Assembly Member Mike Gibson very forcefully uh, voicing his support of it from the LA area. Yep. yep. And we finally get a vote, and what happens? Uh, it's pretty strong. You know, yep. I think it, I don't stronger remember. than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be too. Yeah. Which means it is on its way to uh, Governor Newsom's desk, where it is all but assured of being signed. Yeah. And there was another gaggle. There was another gaggle. Um, <laughs> and, and this will lead into something that I think uh, we have not mentioned yet, yes. but it's important. So, um, you know, a bunch of the assembly members uh, go out and, and, you know, a lot of back padding um, for for this uh, getting through, especially given the context, that, as we've talked before in this podcast, of tenant legislation uh, really struggling in previous years at the Capitol. Uh, but there's still something looming out there. Um, which is a potential um, 2020 initiative on rent control again, uh, financed by the same organization, the AIDS Healthcare Foundation out of LA, um, that that ran the one in 2018, uh, and they don't like this. Uh, they uh, the AIDS Healthcare Foundation and its president Michael Weinstein were opposed the entire way. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the day after, uh, in fact, uh, Weinstein called me to want to, to tell me to that to make sure that he knew that they were still opposed to the deal that passed. Yeah. Um, and his, you know, I think his um, objection to this and push want to push for continued legislation is is uh, is cl- is clear i think the line in the sand is uh, what's known as uh, vacancy control where um uh landlords uh, uh 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 the policy by which landlords are currently allowed to increase rents to whatever they want uh when a tenant moves out he doesn't want that and that's something that's a, certainly a line in the sand for the the landlord industry as well uh and so without that's certainly not part of this rent cap deal um and so we're likely to see this kind of March towards the ballot again, um, uh, potentially, right? Yes. Um, and you uh, asked a very good question of uh, David Chu, asking him, "Hey, what do you? The, this deal just passed. What's it going to do about the initiative?" And he turned into um, a uh, human shrug emoji, if you will. Yes. Um, so he doesn't know. Okay, let's talk about some big takeaways from this bill. And let's start, actually, let's divide this into policy and politics. Yeah. Let's start with the with the policy portion of this. Who is this bill going to help the most? So I think it adds a level of protection for people that— obviously wasn't there before. I mean, I think we want to be, we want to make clear this is, you know, not going to affect the lion's share of rent increases, not the majority of them, probably not two thirds of them, probably not 75% of them. Um, you know, not your day-to-day rent increase that most tenants will face around the state. However, these sort of one-time spikes, um, yeah, they're not going to be there. Uh, and you're not allowed to be there anymore. Um, and I think that, you know, when you have, you know, uh, nine and a half million renters who are rent burdened, now in the state, uh, you know, more than half the tenant population, um, adding a level of protection, you know, could be uh, valuable for, for those folks to be able to stay in where they're living now. I talked to an Oregon economist who was trying to predict how the Oregon version of this legislation, which passed earlier in the year with a higher rent cap, 7% plus inflation, would actually play out. And he obtained better data than uh, some of the data that we have here in California. Um, And one of his conclusions was, you know what, rent increases over the cap are more likely to happen at places that are charging fairly low rents. And those tend to be rented to 
you know, intuitively lower yeah. income families. Yeah. And that also makes sense from a mathematical perspective, yeah. right? I mean, 10% of uh, $500 is a lot less uh, money wise than 10% of $2,000. Right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. What to you is the most credible argument that this won't work or have unintended consequences? Uh, I think that there's two. One is, as I mentioned, it doesn't affect the lion's share of rent increases. So, you know, why why are we doing this? Um, number two, um, I, I from the amount of people that I've spoken to about this um, who raised this objection um, about kind of more regular rent increases or landlords incentivized to do that. Yes. Um, I think that 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 is a real thing. Um, and you may see, you know, rather than getting, um, you know, out of landlords' fear that they may not be able to recoup their uh, uh, whatever it is, um, and they can't just raise it all at once, they'll be more attuned to kind of the just automatically, in, in, you know, increase rents because they've their fear that without doing that, they won't have the ability to, to raise them a lot. Yeah, just to elaborate on that, if I'm a landlord and I fear a recession and some downturn in rents in the future or some unanticipated big capital cost or any reason I might need more money down the yeah. line mm -hmm. where, okay, I won't be able to raise my rent 15%, 20% to meet that need. Right. What I will do instead is raise it to the cap every year just yeah. in case. Or even 3 4% every year yeah. when you weren't doing that at all. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I just want to add one more, I think, credible policy concern which is, with this, which is enforcement. I was just about, yeah, you're exactly right. In which I actually feel guilty that I hadn't dug into this question more yeah. in, in reporting on this bill. Yeah. But, you know, for local rent control ordinances, you have a rent stabilization board right. that is in charge of not only setting how much you're allowed to raise the rent year over year, but making sure that landlords actually obey that. Right. There is no such body that has been created to enforce this measure, which right. basically means that, one, tenants have to be aware of this, yes. and two, are willing and able to talk to a lawyer right. if they do get a rent increase above this, or if they run into some of these, if they feel like they're being evicted in violation of the just cause protections. Yeah. No, I was just thinking about this over the weekend, uh, and I was like, oh, like... I got a 10% rent increase. Call the police. You know, I mean, like, what? <laughs> I mean, like, 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 what? What do you do, man? Yeah. You know, like, there's not a, you know, and I'm sure, um, uh, uh, no disrespect to the attorney general, um, but you know, a lot on his plate. Uh, I don't know if the you know, first in line is is a 10% rent increase in um, Midtown Sacramento. Let's talk about the the politics of this now. Who's your biggest winner? I think the governor is. Okay. Um, and I say that because if this didn't happen, then he would have not done anything he said uh, about his first year in office, about an issue that he said is, if not the most important, then uh, among the most important issues that are on his plate. Do you mean renter protection specifically, or do you mean housing broadly? I mean broadly? Housing, housing broadly. Yeah. I mean, you it's could a argue— strong. Well, I mean, you could argue about the money, right? Yeah. I think he would, he would certainly point to that. But, like, that was not—you uh, know, um, I'm not saying the money is bad, right, or un unnecessary or, mm -hmm. or, or whatever, right? But the amount of money you would need to make a meaningful dent um, in your—in in, in the yeah. housing problem was not, not met at all by the amount of money that ended up being spent, right? Yeah. Um, and so, in that way, uh, without policy change in some way, then you're not addressing, you know, your— the issues that you said, which was helping you know renters stay in their homes or meaningfully increasing the housing supply in the state. And so without doing any of that, just being able to point to the money, I think, would have been a, a significant failure for him. Um, and he's able to have a, a feather in his cap. Yeah. And, and 
credibly say these are the strongest statewide tenant protection measures in the country, which helps with his progressive bona fides in case there is any type of future political aspirations he yeah. may have. Transitioning to people who may have lost because of this, I think Michael Weinstein is somewhat of a of a loser here. I talked to Deb Carlton, who's been on the podcast before, who's the main lobbyist for the California Apartment Association, the right. landlord group. Right. And I asked her, okay, so what are you guys going to say now about the 2020 initiative? And she said, well, we will argue that we have reached a compromise, that we are curbing the most excessive rent right. increases right. in the state, and that any type of future rent control is unnecessary and will be harmful. Right. Um, and that's not only true of the statewide 2020 initiative, but that will also be a, an argument that's leveraged against local rent control initiatives, too. Exactly. So I'm very curious to see how the 2020 initiative plays out and how local rent control campaigns, which actually have had a little bit of momentum recently, um, fare in light of this. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the Apartment Association, and which was, again, the, the, the ones um, who were um, predominantly against the 2018 campaign, ended up um, uh, being okay with this happening. Um, I think speaks to a you know you have large institutional apartment owners who have complex algorithms that increase rents every year and they're not you know very rarely are they spiking rents ten percent at a time yeah. right and so this doesn't really affect them um, their bottom lines so much but they are in fact now able to argue politically decently powerful I think that something that was already done here yes let me ask you this do you think yeah. any of this happens without the 2020 initiative looming. No. It's an impossible question. No. no, I don't, I don't huh. think it happens. So, in in some way, then Assemblyman David Chu and Governor Newsom should be thanking Michael Weinstein. Yeah, um, and he's made this point to me too. Uh, Weinstein has, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, what incentive do landlords have to deal after winning by twenty percentage points? without the credible threat of something else happening. That was the same question, though, me and you had immediately after Prop 10. Yeah. And I would argue, well, if Newsom really wants this, then maybe that's why they get engaged. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I, don't, but I don't know if Newsom really gets engaged as much as he does without, does without that, that, that threat of the initiative. Yeah. Anyway, they're impossible questions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anything else on this rent cap bill? No. I, yeah, I think we, we've had, we've, we've devoted previous podcasts yeah. to this. You're welcome to listen to them too, where we've interviewed various stakeholders in this. And yeah. Yes. Um, but how, how much are you looking forward to talking about rent control again next year? <laughs> well, I'm not, not. So uh, <laughs> I'm going to be somewhere else. So I'm not sure how much I will be talking about uh, uh, rent control. I have a feeling you will be. Yeah. Right. I have a feeling you will be. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to some other bills. Yeah. No more AB 1482. Let's move on to some other bills. So the way we're going to do this, we're going to go through bills that actually pass first, and we'll each kind of trade off on um, the most compelling policy argument that this bill will work, the most compelling policy argument that the bill won't work, and then what Governor Newsom's reaction to the bill likely will be. Yeah. Uh, where do you want to start? Holly Mitchell? Sure. Let's start with uh, Senate Bill 329. Uh, this is the bill that prohibits landlords from uh, rejecting tenants solely because they're Section 8 voucher holders. And we had a whole episode on this uh, issue a few weeks back, um, and this one passed. That's right. And so what do you think is the most credible policy argument that this thing is going to work? Uh, that it 
stop something that we know is or intends to stop something that we know happens. I mean, everyone sees the no Section 8 signs. Uh, no Section 8 is the signs that you see in uh, Windows or on Craigslist, Craigslist ads. ads yeah. uh, not allowed anymore. Um, and if you want to read more about this, obviously Liam has written about it, but my colleague Jackie Botts at Cal Matters has written pretty extensively about this issue too. Mm -hmm. I'd say uh, one of the more compelling arguments against it is one, landlords will find another way to de facto reject Section 8 applicants yeah. out of hand mm -hmm. um, without officially putting that ad in a Craigslist. Right, so the enforcement issue again. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also that um, there is evidence that complying with Section 8 is... More burdensome. For landlords. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So this will be you know, somewhat onerous for those landlords to comply with. Yep. Neither you or I are aware of Governor Newsom taking a public position on this bill. What is your expectation I, as to whether he signed it? I'd be surprised if he did not sign it. Me too. Yeah. Okay, let's move now to Senate Bill 330 from uh, Democrat Nancy Skinner from Berkeley. Um, what does this bill do? So it prevents uh, sort of kind of high cost cities from uh, downzoning, um, sort of a moratorium on. Uh, uh, You're not going to say moratorium on moratoriums. Uh, <laughs> you just did. Um, so a, a a moratorium on variety of actions local governments can take to make it uh, harder to build. Uh, so both zoning and fees and all those sorts of things. And this is uh, would be in place for five years. That's right. This is the last and highest profile bill that attempts to really knock down on what cities can do to obstruct or impede new housing. Yep. After the death of Senate Bill 50 and some mm -hmm. other you know measures that didn't make it this far. Yep. You want to do compelling argument for, compelling argument against? Well, uh, compelling argument for is kind of what we've discussed many times, that sort of the local government barriers being one reason to contributing to why uh, not enough housing gets built. Um, this kind of takes away some of the authority to, um, to put those barriers up, particularly in response to individual projects or circumstances that are, would be going forward over the next few years. And talking with some folks from the League of Cities, they are most concerned about the fee component of this, that without being able to increase fees on a project after doing a more full review of that project's implications. You know, building this apartment building is going to cause us to change a bike lane. We didn't know that when you first submitted this initial application, so we have to raise fees on you guys. That that's going Not to, allowed anymore. Yeah, that's yeah. going to hamper their ability, which means if that's true, somebody's going to have to pick up that tab, mm -hmm. and it will no longer be the developer. It'll be the city. Right. And our expectation here is that Governor Newsom will sign this bill. He has already made public comments supporting SB 330. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's do SB 5. Yeah. This is an interesting one. So this is a, a bill from Senator Jim Bell from uh, the Bay Area, San Jose. Um, I was pretty sure this was not moving this year, um, but I turned out to be wrong. You were wrong. Uh, very wrong. Yeah. Um, this is a bill that uh, aims to revive, in a way, in a manner, um, the program known as redevelopment, uh, which uh, allows cities to sequester part of their property tax revenue, in particular neighborhoods, to help finance uh, low-income housing and uh, economic development. And it uh, passed. It did, mm -hmm. uh, despite opposition from the California Teachers Association, yeah. arguably the most powerful labor union in the capital. Mm -hmm. And nominally, the governor as well. Um, he has, uh, while he's not taken a specific position on SB5, um, he has talked about n redevelopment not really being uh, something that he wants to tackle, or at least right away. Um, he mentioned that repeatedly during budget presentations, things yep. like that. And we should mention the reason why, you know, I said local property taxes, but the, the deal and 
why it matters for the state is that there's a state match, and there was a state match previously in that that program, the prior redevelopment program. This also has sort of state money that would go towards um, uh, 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 these subsidies, um, starting at about two hundred million a year, uh, up to ultimately potentially two billion a year. Most compelling policy argument for. Uh, or against so you choose the side yes for um, there's a, a deficit of uh, money for uh, housing construction uh, despite the variety of money that's been approved in recent years still when you look at the kind of the whole and financing particularly low-income construction it's still very high this adds to that pot and just to add to that especially what's been lacking is a permanent renewable funding source which this would somewhat provide yeah argument against uh, too expensive. I was um, going to do it. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, too expensive could threaten education funding, and redevelopment had a host of problems with it, yeah. um, including uh, not spending things on affordable housing right. when they should have. Right. Why in the world would we want to revive this? Right. And a bit unwieldy and complicated. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. This is this is a real interesting one to see what Newsom does with this. Yeah. Yeah, what, what I, do you expect? I, I really don't know. Yeah. Um, this, this, usually these things, when the governor seems to be so opposed, they get, you know, quietly defeated. Um, and so I wonder whether there was some sort of tacit uh, saying this is okay. Um, because you usually don't stick your thumb in the eye of the governor like this unless you're really not sticking your thumb in the eye. And so I, I, I'm just very curious to see what happens. Yeah. And the, the cities really, really want this. Yeah. They really, really want this. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, perhaps there is leverage to be had over things maybe the cities oppose. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, though, if I'm Newsom, especially in that January budget presentation you referenced, he made a big deal of how he, how he was following the legacy of fiscal prudence that his predecessor, Governor Jerry Brown, successfully maintained, I guess. Mm-hmm. This seems like an opportunity for him to say, I am also following what Governor Jerry Brown um, would have done in this situation, um, which is veto a program that will cost money and that has you know, a history of not being used efficiently. Yep. Let's talk about these ADU bills real quick. Yeah, so there were a number. This is the la- if there was any housing drama the last day of session, it was whether uh, three bills that uh, continue to make it easier to build these uh, second backyard homes. Uh, long threads on Twitter about what to call these things. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah. So um, the measures uh, would uh, three of them limit fees that local governments can charge for the, these construction, uh, uh, allow for um, kind of investors to uh, own property. Properties, um, and then have uh, uh, these backyard homes on those properties. And also, in some cases, allowed for a third uh, uh, sort of junior, smaller unit beyond the already smaller unit. Uh, so in some cases, three houses on one plot, right? What would you uh, call that one, Liam? I don't know. A, uh, a casita Ita? That, that, that has been raised as mm. a potential. Oh, God. That was on Twitter? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is why this Twitter's thing. horrible. Right. <laughs> so um, uh, they all passed. And uh, all three of them passed. And so um, it will be interesting to see kind of how much further this kind of spurs the construction of of these sorts of units. Uh, This uh, has been, um, uh, I think it's unquestionably um, the case, uh, in the last few years of all the state interventions to help spur housing construction, this stuff has been the most, I guess, successful um, by having such a large new numbers uh, in L.A. in particular and also other areas of the state where these uh, these units are being are now being built. We are running out of time, so we won't do the 
arguments for, arguments against, yeah. do some component of this. Let's quickly reference some bills that we really haven't talked about at length on the podcast, but I think you know our listeners, especially those who are really engaged in housing policy across the state, should be aware of that are heading to Newsom's desk. And let's start with Miguel Santiago's bill. This is a bill that uh, waives a host of secret requirements, uh, California Environmental Quality Act requirements for uh, homeless housing in Los Angeles, um, both shelters and permanent uh, supportive housing. Um, you may be aware there have been a couple of lawsuits, um, both in uh, Los Angeles and in San Francisco, although this bill is very much L.A.-related. Uh, there was a prior effort to kind of help the San Francisco shelters. Yep. Um, this, so this, once the governor signs it, I don't have any reason to believe that he won't, um, would help uh, pretty much make it very difficult for neighborhood groups and others to use the California Environmental Quality Act to stop or delay homeless shelters. I want to quickly talk about a bill that really hasn't been discussed at all, AB 520. This is a bill from Democrat Ash Kaura from the San Jose area, um, which would basically expand the number of projects, new development projects that have to pay prevailing wage, basically union level wages. Yeah. This is the number one bill that developers want killed. It's yeah. number one on their housing killers list. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It'll be very interesting to see what Newsom does with this. There's been reports uh, broken by my colleague, Dan Moraine, of frosty relations between the Newsom administration and uh, the trades, the construction workers union that wields enormous uh, influence here in the capital. Uh, the trades obviously very much want this. The developers don't. It'll be very interesting to see what Newsom does with this bill. Yep. Um, okay, moving on. Last one, another chew bill for regional housing finance. So this uh, allows the uh, uh, Bay Area regional government to raise money um, and be able to deploy that money on a sort of regional basis to help support uh, low-income housing and other thing, other low-income housing construction, other sort of things. Um, and it gives kind of at the regional level um, more power uh, and more funding power to that agency rather than city by city. All right. That so passed. That, yes, that passed, and it's on its way to the governor. Okay. Now— Let's do something that both of both you and I enjoy and resent simultaneously, yes. okay. which is to create a narrative thematic summary of everything that happened in housing legislation over the last nine months. Okay. And we are going to do this with a gimmick. Do you read the New York Post, Liam? I see you with it with your coffee and your bagel every morning. Every morning. Well, yeah. actually, I have a friend who works there, so occasionally oh, okay. I, uh, I, I check in. Yeah. So the New York Post is famous for its... How do you want to describe these headlines? Uh, um, pithy with... Uh, uh, some uh, well pithy snarky yeah with um, you know that some level of um, uh, self-aware levity yes sure so yeah. we are going to summarize the last nine months of legislation um, with a New York Post headline yeah you ready uh, you do I, I got one first yeah I think, you're, I think yours is great okay so this is so imagine a um, tabloid tabloid photo of uh newsom yeah on the on the back page or front page i don't know how that yeah. how it works and then in big bold font i got 3.5 million problems but a rent cap ain't one that's good thank you yes so this is obviously alluding to something you said earlier which is without this rent cap bill um, Newsom would have trouble making a compelling argument that he had done a lot of what he had set out to do on housing. Yep. That 3.5 million number is the uh, new production goal that Newsom set out in his campaign 
that it's 3.5 million by 2025. We've mm -hmm. talked ad nauseum about it. Yeah. Um, the latest housing construction numbers show that in 2019, it looks like we're going to fall short of what we built in 2018. Plummeting. The numbers are plummeting. That's we kind might, of we might, even, might even be below 100,000 this year. We might is, be below 100,000. That's, that's, that's not good. He had wanted 500,000. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's how I would summarize the last nine months. We yeah. saw lots of... We saw unprecedented action on renter protections. That's fair. Yep. We saw a huge amount of money devoted to affordable housing and homelessness. Yep. Two of the governor's priorities. Yep. What we did not see was a signature production bill, yep. a bill that would have made it easier for easier for developers to build new market rate and affordable housing. Yep. I think it sums it up really, really well. Yeah. Um, just to to, to 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 go a little bit deeper on this, I mean, I think if you had asked in Jan, if you you know had asked me in January or showed me this what got done, um, and you showed it to me in January, and hey, was this a big year for housing? I would have said, ah, yeah, maybe seems like something, right? Yeah. Uh, but if you had showed this to me in May, after all the bills got crushed or narrowed significantly and said this is what they ended up doing, I would have been surprised they, that they did this much. And so I think it's kind of where your expectations, you know, setting is, right? In January, it would have been, um, eh, okay, I mean, something got done, right? Uh, uh, but in May, it would be, oh, wow, they did a lot more than I thought. So so I want to drill in on, these, on this expectations point because yeah. it's something that I've been very conscious about. Yeah. Governor Jerry Brown was a master of lowering expectations. Right. He really was. Yeah. And manipulated media members like myself yeah. by doing so. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. If you took all of this legislation collectively. Yeah. And framed it as a housing package. Yeah. Is this collectively a bigger deal than what passed in 2017? That's a good question. I would I would argue. Yeah. I think I think so. Even though the the. 2017 package had production on, on, bills like and, SB 35 from yeah. Senator Scott Weiner, yeah. and it was more kind of production oriented. And an ongoing revenue source for housing yep. was part of the, you know. And the yeah. votes were yeah. tougher for some of those because of that, because it required right. two thirds. Right. But there, there's been a lot of action this year. It yeah. just Newsom raised the expectation so high in yeah. January and yeah. on the campaign trail. Right. You know, the way we cover this has been influenced by that. Well, but also it's not just the way we cover it. I mean, it's the way that it would have impacts on the ground, too. You know what I mean? Um, yes. Uh, you know, I think, like, like it's very easy here. And I understand things take a while. I understand things are hard. But I think for your general public person, they're going to want to know whether what happened will help keep the rent down. Yeah. You know? And no matter, I don't, you know, oh, okay, another $300 million got spent this year to help subsidize, you know, maybe a few thousand homes somewhere in the state, right? Oh, okay, like, it might have been a hard vote, but that's not meaningfully impacting a lot of California's mm -hmm. lives, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, under that rubric, I think, like, what happened this year, yeah, I think the rent cap is, you know, probably the um, far furthest reaching housing measure that I think has been passed, um, you know, since I've been here. Um, and I think that, that, you know, that's significant. Yes. So. Okay. I think that's it. Anything else on this uh, legislative session that you think we should hit? 
Uh, no, I think that it about covers it. That concludes Give Me Shelter, the California Housing Crisis podcast. I, again, am Matt Levin, dad and housing reporter with CalMatters. You can find me on Twitter at MLevinReports. And I am Liam Dillon with the Los Angeles Times. I am on Twitter at Dylan Liam. Looking forward to seeing, hopefully, many of you uh, later this week at our live event. Um, and uh, if not, catch, catch it when it publishes next week. And we may have a little bit of a hiatus since Liam is moving down to L.A. and the legislative session is over. So it may be a little more than two weeks before your next episode. But we promise there will be a next episode yes. um, soon. Yes. Thanks.